Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Come to faith, when we began to walk in truth, when we walk in obedience and in faith, that's when we'll begin to experience the fullness of joy. These things we write to you that your joy might be full. We want you to have fellowship, fellowship with us, fellowship with God the Father, fellowship with God the Son, in order that your joy might be full. He tells us clearly there, I'm writing these things to you because I want your joy to be full. Joy in the Lord is something that every believer desires. But you know what? Unfortunately, all too few truly experience that. How can you rejoice when persecuted, when life wrecks you? Is it possible to still feel joy within your soul? Absolutely. Today, Pastor David explains the joy you can experience when you walk in the fellowship and truth of the Lord. Without the joy God gives you by the Spirit inside you, you'd have no hope in the difficult seasons of life. Regardless of how you feel in different circumstances, you can choose joy. Rest in the strength of the Spirit and trust in God's goodness to fill you and increase your joy. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 1 as he continues his message, Do I Have a Witness? These Gnostics, they came in with all these new ideas and new revelations, and yet Jesus was from the beginning. He was the very Logos of life. And don't forget that word Logos, translated us in the English simply as word. But it's much more than simply a a means to translate some communication or ideas. Logos is a whole lot more than that. In the prevalent Greek mindset of that day, Logos held a much, much wider and a deeper meaning. It was the Greek mindset that introduced the idea that it was the Logos that connected humanity to the cosmos, or eventually, or thus to, uh, to deity. There was the Greeks that brought in that idea. Logos was the law. It was the principle, the order of all things in the Greek mindset. For the Greeks, the Logos even transcended the ability of humans to be able to fully grasp the scope of understanding it completely. It's beyond our understanding. It's in a realm beyond us. We can pull portions of it and try to pull, but we're not going to be able to understand it completely. The Logos was reason. Logos was power for men like Socrates. Socrates stated that the Logos is what makes philosophy even possible because it's the harmony existing between reason and reality. Those are the words of Socrates. Aristotle believed that the Logos was the source of human virtue and piety. He had no idea how close he was to real truth. 
because Jesus really and truly is the source of human virtue and piety. Philo of Alexandria, he, he lived around 20 uh, BC till about AD 50. So he's right in that range of area where, where Jesus' ministry was and on beyond that during the time of John's ministry. Well, he was a major philosopher of the day, but he was also a Hellenistic Jew. In other words, he was a Jew that was uh, influenced by literally immersed in the Greek culture. Well, his philosophic ideas had even a closer reality to the fullness of Logos. For Philo, Logos is a mediating figure. Catch this, what he reads, because it is so amazing. Logos is a mediating figure which comes from God, forms a link between the transcendent God and the world, and represents humanity as a high priest and an advocate before God. You would think he read or perhaps wrote the book of Hebrews. He goes on to say, the Logos is the sum and the focus of God's creative power, and as such, it orders and governs the visible world. This isn't a Christian that's speaking this. This is a Jewish philosopher heavily influenced by the Greek culture. So he's got a mixture of the Greek philosophy and a mixture of Judaism in that he brings the true one almighty God, Jehovah God, into his philosophy here and blends both of them. Uh, Philo was so close, I believe, when you listen to what he, what he wrote, I believe that he was so close to recognizing the true incarnation of the Logos. And then when you read the words of John, particularly like in his gospel, in the beginning was the Logos, yes. But you need to understand, the Logos not only was with God, but the Logos was God. And so Philo, what you're saying here is exactly right. And it was all encompassed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Well, John writes here in his epistle, he's declaring that the Logos of life was made manifest among us, and this is who we declare to you. Verse two, he says, the life was manifested, it was made known, it was revealed to us. And we have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested, revealed to us. He isn't asking his audience to believe on some you know, blind faith. Oh, you just need to believe this. You, need, you just need to you know, take that step in the darkness and believe this. No, he wants them to believe because, again, there is actual undeniable witnesses to the truth of what's going on and how it happened. In a courtroom situation, the witnesses asked several times about the incident particularly the defense, you have a witness against the accused, the defensive attorney would come up and he's going to ask him about his story multiple times, over and over, trying to catch them in some variation of their story, which could mean that they're one of two things. They're either lying or they've made this thing up. Here, John sits in the witness chair and he repeats his connection with the Logos over and over in just these few short verses. Truly, his connection is experiential, not simply theoretical. He's actually lived it. 
John was at the scene. He experienced it firsthand. He wasn't just reading someone else's report. Scan a portion of the first three verses with me again. Look what he says, beginning of verse one. That which was from the beginning, we have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon. Our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Verse two, we have seen. We bear witness. We declare to you, it was manifested, it was revealed to us. Verse three, we have seen, we've heard, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, bam, 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 he's driving it home. Yes, I was there, I experienced it. I can, again, testify of the reality and the truth of it. All too often today, and this is, this is a, literally a slam against Christianity today. But all too often today, Christians, in our witness to a lost world, we're not witnessing, again, what Jesus has done in our lives. All too often, we don't offer firsthand evidence. All too often today, Christians simply want to parrot the information that they've been given. Here, just read them this pamphlet. Just walk through these questions with them. Share these thoughts. Just share these verses. Oh, ask these proven questions. That'll get them right into having to make a decision for Christ. All too often, our witnessing plans and programs and seminars lead us not to declare what Christ has done in our life as much as just working through a set plan. We need to remember, though, the power of a personal testimony is not just the width of your scriptural knowledge. Scriptural knowledge is good. It's good for you. It's powerful in your life, for your personal life. But the power of our personal testimony is the depth of the impact in our personal collision with Jesus Christ. How did Jesus impact my life when I came to him, when he revealed himself to me? That's what's going to change people's lives. And over and over within the word of God, we see that is the testimony that, again, Jesus changed lives. And beloved, if you don't have that as your testimony, you can parrot the four spiritual laws, and I'm not throwing them away. I'm just saying the usage of something like that or how to have a full and meaningful life or a multitude of others that I've forgotten by now through the years as I've been a Christian. These little training seminars that you go on how to share your faith end up being more how to share this little booklet. But beloved, in essence, what you're doing there, you're reading someone else's report. And the testimony of that isn't nearly as powerful as the testimony of what you have experienced yourself in your walk in Christ. And that's why I look at 1 John and say, man, this is a powerful report. And he wants to let you know at the very beginning, no, man, I was there. I experienced it. I touched it. I saw it. I spoke with him. I experienced it during those times. Now, let me tell you about it. John wants his readers to fully recognize how the life of Jesus 
It wasn't like these Gnostics that say, some of them say he wasn't a real body. Jesus was flesh and blood. He was manifested. He was revealed to us. He was able to connect. He was able to have fellowship with those that would follow after him. He wasn't some fake-bodied spirit just moving along the face of the earth. No, he was someone who could and did interact with his creation. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He served the Father in heaven with them. He taught them what it means to be gracious to those that are down and out. He's suffering in their journey here on earth, and he would be right there beside them. And always, always, he pointed them to the Father. John writes these things so that through true faith in the true logos of God, that word of God that became flesh, in true faith in him, there is true and real fellowship with God, koinonia. We experience koinonia, true and real fellowship with God. John wrote in verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, yes, with other believers, but also fellowship with the Father and with the Son. Once again, the words translated, they can give us a wrong. It can give us a limited understanding of what John is trying to reveal to us. You've got to remember, John lived in a Greek culture. And in that Greek culture, as I said, that word for fellowship that's translated fellowship is that Greek word koinonia. This is another great, it's another powerful, multi-leveled word within our Bibles. Koinonia carries with it the understanding of community. Above all else, it has that idea, that understanding of community. That kind of covers the whole of the meaning of koinonia. Community was an important factor to both the Jew and the Greek. As a matter of fact, kind of sidebar here, no extra charge for this one. Uh, for, For the Jew, community is so powerful within their lives They can't even comprehend a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why would I have a personal relationship? We, as the Jews, have a relationship with God. And so again, what you and I, individualistic Americans, hey, every man for himself, totally different concept than what the Jews live under. The Jews live under a full understanding of feeling just that concept of community. And that's why, again, in, in witnessing and sharing the faith with a Jew, that it's, it's a hard time for them to get over that hump of that God loves you personally, individually. He cares for you. Christ died for your sins individually. And that's what we need to recognize. But again, that whole idea of koinonia, community. Koinonia was the idea of sharing in, participating in. And for the Greeks, koinonia was the supreme expression of friendship. I've got koinonia with this brother. Man, that's how tight our friendship is. We have community together. We use the phrase today, I believe, hey, uh, live life together. We want to live life together. I'm not talking about, you know, 
shacking up with each other. I'm talking about, you know, as, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, we're going to live life together. We're going to walk through the journey of life. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to pray with each other. We're going to uh, care for each other. That kind of an idea. Koinonia, that supreme expression of friendship. The idea of being in common union even through joint citizenry. See, if you are a Greek, you are a great part of a great whole. And again, you don't just separate yourself from that. Again, we in the United States, we're so divided right now in this season of our nation's history. We have absolutely no idea about that. But in the Greek culture, if you were Greek, you were my brother. I'm going to defend you in any way that I possibly can. If you're a citizen, there is that powerful bond between you and any other citizen in that culture. And throughout the culture, Koinonia showed that common union in life, that partnership in work and brotherhood, even in religious life. So all of these things coming together with Koinonia. For the Jew... Cornelia was primarily left on the the human level. The idea that with that movement within their lives, again, that's how they used that word. They used other words in relationship to their relationship with God. John's writings here and in the gospel account, again, is with more the Greek uh, mindset, even more so than the Jew. Because here in 1 John, he invites his readers to embrace both the Jewish concept, fellowship coming together on this level, but also the Greek thought that was fellowship here as well as with God the Father, with his son, Jesus Christ. And as we'll read later in the chapter and throughout this epistle, when that happens... When we come to faith, when we begin to walk in truth, when we walk in obedience and in faith, that's when we'll begin to experience the fullness of joy. These things we write to you that your joy might be full. We want you to have fellowship, fellowship with us, fellowship with God the Father, fellowship with God the Son, in order that your joy might be full. He tells us clearly there, I'm writing these things to you because I want your joy to be full. Joy in the Lord is something that every believer desires, but you know what? Unfortunately, all too few truly experience that, even as believers. I talk to individuals, man, they're overwhelmed with life, they're overwhelmed with relationship. There's no joy in their life. But the fact is, there's all too many believers that walk around that way, not in the joy of the Lord. And the real reason they don't walk in the joy of the Lord is because I don't believe that they're really experiencing it. Notice John doesn't say, we write to you that you can obtain joy. No. He says, we write to you that your joy might be full. There is this inferred understanding that you and I, as believers, would have joy. He's writing so that our joy might be full or complete or accomplished within our lives. Beloved, the fact is, joy for the believer is both a feeling and an action. 
a feeling and an action. I want to look at these real quick. And I'll start with actually the second one first. Joy being an action. Do you realize that we are commanded by God's word to have joy? You are commanded to have joy, regardless of how we feel. When the psalmist declared in Psalm 518, rejoice in the wife of your youth, as long as you guys are getting together? No, that's not what he said. No, rejoice in the wife of your youth. It's a command. It's a word that says, no, you need to do that. And yeah, ladies, I do believe it goes both ways. Rejoice in the man of your youth, the husband of your youth. The psalmist didn't list any caveats or stipulations there. He didn't have to ask, what kind of wife do you have? How's she been treating you lately? Well, okay, man, you can rejoice in her. Sorry about you with your situation, but you need to rejoice in what you got. No, he simply said, we are to rejoice in the wife of our youth. How about the words of Jesus himself when he told us to rejoice even when we're persecuted? That's a command. That's an action we have to take. Well, if you want me to rejoice, give me joy. No. He says, rejoice when you are persecuted. And you know what? Persecution, when it comes, it doesn't come along with a big helping of joy on the side. You and I need to BYOJ. Bring our own joy. Bring your own joy. When we have the joy of the Lord abiding in us, that's when persecution comes, that I can rejoice even through persecution. Even the apostle Paul reminds us, rejoice in the Lord when all things are going your way. Is that what it says? No. We are told rejoice in the Lord always. And then he repeats it. And again, I say, rejoice. He repeats it to remind us, hey, I just told you. Remember, I said, rejoice. And again, no stipulations. No, no thing. Well, unless you're having a really bad day or unless there's persecution. No, Jesus said, rejoice even when you're persecuted. Even James tells us, my brethren, and I, I hate this verse, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, you know I say that tongue-in-cheek, right? Somebody's going to tell me later, well, you know, you shouldn't hate the Bible. You know, every verse is inspired. I know that every verse is inspired. There's some mindsets done. Sometimes it's count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's something I've got to do. You've got to do. I don't want to do that. Well, there's a lot of things that God tells me to do that I don't want to do. That's just my ugly nature. But in obedience and in discipline in my life, the Lord said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Rejoice when you're persecuted for my sake. Okay, Lord, in this situation, I want to live in joy. I don't want my circumstances around me to control my life. I want your spirit to control my life. Open our hearts, change us from within. 
Would you like to listen again to today's message? You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David in The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss the latest edition of the program. Right now, let's check back in with Pastor David for an invitation. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. And as you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and the love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. The teachings you've been listening to here were originally messages I shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Do you happen to live in this area? If so, please come join me this weekend for a time of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and just getting to know one another through fellowship. You'd be able to find all the information you need, the service times and directions too, at our website, theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel Casa Grande link at the bottom of the page. See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close to ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word as well. Would you pray for us? We know the enemy isn't happy about the truth of the gospel being spread, and he's going to do all he can to stop us. Please pray for all of us here that we'd keep our eyes only on Jesus all the time. Would you also join us in praying for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts would be open to the gospel and that lives would change. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Make us more.